No, Superman Forever Radio, the weekly podcast devoted to Superman. Hello, everybody. Welcome to Superman Forever Radio, episode 13. I am your mild-mannered host, J. David Weeder, and uh, with this podcast, I look at uh, Superman in his many incarnations, and uh, right now we're really focusing on the Superman comics from Infinite Crisis in 2006 to the present, and I want to kick off the show uh, because we do have a special guest, but I do want to give out a couple of shout-outs. First and foremost, I want to shout-out to Ilya Salkind. Um, this week, you know, it was reported that he was missing and there was a lot of concern, but turned out, you know, he did have a terrible fall. He was injured, but he is in stable condition. He's conscious, according to the Superman homepage. And so all is well. And, and you know, completely relieved to hear that. I uh, got a chance to meet Mr. Salkine this past summer at the Superman celebration in Metropolis, Illinois. And he is one of the nicest individuals you'll ever meet. Very gracious to the fans and very down to earth. So I'm certainly happy to hear that. He is doing well, and I ho- wish him a speedy recovery and hope that he's going to be back again this year uh, because he was a pleasure to meet, and I'd love to visit with him again. And on that same note, uh, I do want to shout out to Charlie Niemeyer of the uh, Superman in the Bronze Age podcast. When uh, the news was breaking and uh, you know we were spreading the word that if you've heard of anything about Ilya, um, I, Charlie was nice enough to post the link on my wall because I was stuck at work and only, you know, contacting through my iPhone, which doesn't allow you to link. So Charlie was nice enough to post that on my Facebook page, and I do appreciate it, and I do appreciate his podcast. So if you're not listening to Superman in the Bronze Age, I recommend that you do that immediately after listening to this episode. And of course, I know uh, this episode is coming out on Super Bowl Sunday, and I am perfectly fine with that. I know that probably probably see, you know, a, a dip in the downloads this week, um, uh, but after the game, hey, hit me up. Uh, hopefully, you know, by now you're listening to this and your team has won. Or uh, condolences if your team has lost. That's kind of the magic of podcasting. Don't know exactly when you're going to be listening to it. This may be months down the road. So uh, at that point, you know, hopefully we're back into football season and your team is winning. Or condolences if they're losing then. Anyway, uh, this is a big episode. i got some things to say, uh, very important things to say about the future of the show uh, towards the end of the episode. A lot of good news stories after the casting of Henry Cavill. Or Cavill. I'm not sure exactly what the pronunciation would be, so I do apologize for that. And man, was last week crazy? I had literally just had this episode, or episode 12, wrapped. Ready to upload, the write-up was done, and I see a text on my, or a Google alert on my phone that Cavill had been cast. So yeah, I jumped right back on the mic. But that was pretty ironic since I re-listened to the episode and was talking about the True Blood guy, whose name I don't have a really good grasp on pronouncing anyway and uh, talking about rumors and suddenly out of nowhere here was this news story and really it took me three hours to confirm it because I wanted to make sure if I'm going to sit down and do this episode and make it news that it is indeed news and not another rumor because we have a ton of those and uh, I teased yesterday that I was going to have a big guest on and uh, you don't get much bigger than this guy straight from Apocalypse Lord Darkseid yes yes Thank you for having me, J. David Weeder. And, you know, i got to admit, I'm really surprised that you agreed to do the show. I mean, we really haven't seen much of you since you killed Batman at the end of Infinite Crisis. 
Well, you see, J. David Weeder, I am working to build a softer, kinder apocalypse. Try to open it up to the vacation market, make it a resort of choice. And, uh, as far as killing Batman, I guess I should uh, uh, issue a formal apology. I certainly uh, do regret killing Batman, although, uh, if I'm being completely honest, you know, it's a nice notch in the belt. Well, certainly, I mean, you know, killing the Dark Knight's a big deal. Um, I, I don't know if you know this, but you, he's back now. I mean, he wasn't completely dead. He was kind of lost in time, and now he's back, and he's building up Batman Incorporated. He's going global. What? Yeah, the uh, the Time Masters went back in time. They found him. He was lost in time, but he's back, and now he's going global. He's he's making a big, big deal. Um, just going, recruiting an army of Batmans. That guy. He can turn a buck. He turned death into a lucrative business opportunity. That Wayne guy can pinch a penny. Wait, you know, you know Batman's secret identity? Of course I do, J. David Weeder. I am not a moron. I also know that Superman's real identity is Clark Kent. Did you really think the glasses and the slick back hair worked? Come on. So you knew he was Clark Kent, then why, why have you not attacked him? J. David Weeder, you must understand. Sometimes you have to leave work at work. Okay, okay, I, I kind of get that logic. But, uh, well, I mean, okay, so, you know, you mentioned you're trying to be a kinder, gentler dark side. Um, what, what kind of, I mean, what's going on? Why, why the sudden change? J. David Weeder, a while back, I came across a book that changed my life. It was called Eat, Pray, Love, and I did all three. I do not recommend the movie because I do not think Julia Roberts is an outstanding actress. I'm sorry. I know that's not a popular opinion, but it's my opinion. J. David Weeder, this book put me on a path that, you know, I really want to get in touch with myself and get to know who's inside here, who lays beneath this rugged exterior. And that answer is dark side. And what I found there was not the despot full of hate that I thought it was. I was surrounded by all the wrong influences. Look at Desaad, he's a torture-happy psycho. My son Calabac is just a moron, and my other son Orion doesn't speak to me. And uh, if I may, I do have a special message for Orion, if, if you'll permit me. Go right ahead, go right ahead. Orion, I, I just want to let you know, your, your father loves you very much, and his daddy's speaking, and you know, all I want is for you and I to come home together and uh, really build this bridge together. I'm, I've entered a 12-step program, I'm working towards some really good goals and forgiving myself for some past sins, and I'd really like to just spend some time with you, get to know my son, maybe toss the ball around, so please, if you're out there somewhere, please uh, just, just give me a call. Uh, you know Daddy's number, and I just want to let you know I do miss you, and 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 I love you. I have to admit, Darkseid, that's that's incredibly moving. I mean, this is a side of you, you know, we have never seen before, and uh, I mean, I'm just highly impressed with with the sensitivity you're displaying here. Why, well, I appreciate your praise, J.D. Goodwood, but I've got I've got a long way to go. Uh, there's a lot that I have to do inside to make myself whole again. And uh, in the process right now, I'm uh, working on an adoption program for my warhounds to really get them into some good family homes. These are some really loving pets. And I, I just want to put that out there that if you are interested in adopting a greyhound, please uh, get in contact with me or, or J. David Weeder. I don't mean to disagree with you, but weren't the warhounds pretty much uh, just straight up killing machines? J. David Weeder. J. David Weeder, I understand what you are saying. I understand the image that we've projected, but inside, these are beings, these are sentient beings that need love and compassion, just like you and just like me. 
They need a home, and with the right guidance and the right amount of love, they can put make a family whole. Well, that's that's very incredible, Dark Side. I'm I'm really happy to have you along with us for the ride this week. And uh, any other anything else you want to let our listeners know before we jump into uh, our look at Superman the Animated Series? Uh, yes, uh, J. David Wade, I'd like, I'd like to let everybody know that there will be a bake sale on uh, February 14th. Granny Goodness and the Furies are mixing up some really exciting, exciting pastries. And uh, we'll be planning to have that, and it'll raise money uh, to go to uh, rebuilding a, a visitor center uh, on Apocalypse. Also, uh, my new scent will be released later on this year. Uh, we don't have a definite time frame, but it should be around third quarter of 2011. And this scent will uh, smell and simulate the sweat and tears that have been spilled in the fire pits of Apocalypse. It's a very enchanting aroma, and I'm, I'm really looking forward to covering Superman the Animated Series, uh, where Michael Ironside portrayed yours truly, uh, really a genuinely uh, a good actor. I've been a fan of him since he was ham back on V, back in the 80s. So, so you're a fan of, of V, as in the original or in the new one? Well, J. David Weider, it is my opinion that any television series that snubs Mark Singer is of no value to me. The Beastmaster series, television series, uh, it skipped over here. And that, in my opinion, is an atrocity. So I stick pretty solely to the original because nothing beats the original Diana. You know what I'm saying? Not really, but that's okay. Hey, how about we get this episode started and start recovering uh, Superman the Animated Series as I as it advertised. Let's get this thing going. After Batman the Animated Series premiered in 1992, Warner Brothers Animation really saw a lot of good feedback and a lot of success with their animating their superhero properties. That's correct, David Weider. Prior to Batman the Animated Series, the WB was really focused on doing Looney Tunes-related stuff, which is why the Ruby Spear Superman was farmed out. It was just easier to license the property than to make the show themselves. Of course, with the success of Batman, the most logical next choice, which maybe should have been the first choice, but that's my personal opinion, was Superman. Now, Bruce Timm and Paul Denny approached this uh, kind of the same way as they did uh, Batman the Animated Series. Batman had taken a lot from the Fleischers, and of course, Superman is a natural fit for the Fleischers. So they took sort of the same design scheme as far as the shape of the characters and the uh, tone you know streamlined animation the big difference was they wanted to make a different color palette where batman was in a lot of dark earth tones superman the animated series really took a lot of primary colors which is fitting for a superhero who wears primary colors now they approached it with a more serious tone and the thing that i've always liked about superman the animated series was that it was its own self-contained universe. While it never really deviated too terribly far from what the comic books showed, it actually kind of was self-contained in itself. Some of the major changes included Brainiac being the cause of the destruction of Krypton rather than being from Planet Kolu. And really, the, the show takes from a lot of different time periods. The Lex is clearly from the post-crisis version, but Superman himself kind of shifts back and forth between silver age and modern age um, really just crossing all boundaries 
Now, the Krypton in this show really is presented straight up Silver Age. And one of the nicest uh, features uh, that I always liked was in the very premiere episode, which is a three-parter called The Last Son of Krypton, part one, two, and three, which was air, which was the original premiere, aired all as one on September 6th, 1996. Now, the show's primary cast included Tim Daly as Clark Kent slash Superman, Dana Delaney as Lois Lane, and Clancy Brown as one of the best Lex Luthors to ever grace the screen. Ah, J. David Weider, I must tell you, I love Tim Daly. I love Wings. Tim Daly was great. Stephen Weber was top-notch. And man, Crystal Bernard, she was something to look at. What a set of pipes on that one. And also, the the great Tony Shalhoub. Tony Shalhoub, Mr. Monk himself. J. David Weider, you must come to Apocalypse and sit down with me, and we should have a Monk marathon. I didn't know you were a fan of Monk. Uh, is there a... Uh any particular reason? Monk likes numbers. I like numbers. You know, I spent most of my life looking for the anti-life equation. And uh, come to find out, it is actually the exact chemical composition as a bowl of Mentos. As in the fresh maker. Really? Mentos? Like the candy? J. David Weider, did you not wonder why in every Mentos commercial, someone was able to get away with something absurd by simply flashing the candy? It makes sense. That's pretty amazing. Well, uh, we'll we'll talk off the air about the Monk Marathon. For right now, let's get back to Superman the Animated Series. As I mentioned, Clancy Brown is one of my all-time, if not the all-time favorite Lex Luthor. It's the first one that got it right. There was a, a nice cunning to it, a cold evil. Plus, you got an occasional humor out of him. And the stalemate between him and Tim Daly's Lex Luthor was always top-notch. Now, I mentioned, you know, they're pulling from different time frames, and they're kind of their own universe. But it did have some really good effects on the comic itself. For example, the former female Fury, Mercy, was introduced in the show. Oh, yes, Mercy. And she was Lex Luthor's bodyguard slash assistant. And uh, fans just loved this character so much that she ended up in the actual uh, comic book continuity, along with Livewire, a character presented pretty late in the series, voiced by Lori Petty. And we've talked about her in our reviews, but she did find her way into the comic book con continuity right around the end of the From Crisis to Crisis era. And the list of guest stars on this show is amazing. Ron Perlman himself, Hellboy, showed up as Jack Sir for three episodes. Sarah Douglas, who was Ursa in Superman 2, played Mala, who was essentially the same character since Ursa was created specifically for the movie. But she played uh, Mala in a couple of episodes. Malcolm McDowell, as in the guy that killed Captain Kirk, he was John Corbin slash Metallo. I am not a fan of Captain Kirk. Really? I didn't know that. Uh, not a Star Trek fan? Oh, J. David Weider, you know, I didn't get into it till late. I was definitely not a Voyager fan. I thought Enterprise was horrid. But uh, Deep Space Nine, that was my jam. And see, I didn't get into Deep Space Nine until it was too late. But uh, we got to stay on topic here. This isn't uh, Star Trek Forever. This is Superman Forever. So let's get back to the television series. Um, one interesting fact is Brad Garrett uh, was both Lobo and Bibbo. And uh, you really got to see an interesting twist on the Martha and Jonathan Kent dynamic when uh, Mike Farrell, who you may remember from MASH, and his real-life wife, Shelley Faberis actually played Martha and Jonathan Kent. Uh, Tavares, you, you may remember from the show Coach. If there is a Craig T. Nelson fan club, I need to sign up for that immediately. That man has the acting chops of a Greek god. Well, once uh, once you have a 
uh, Craig T. Nelson Forever podcast, you can certainly talk about that. Um, the show actually lasted three seasons with a total of 54 episodes, ending in 2000, to be specific, on February 12th of 2000, with a final battle against, uh, well, Mr. Darkseid here, voiced by Michael Ironside. Yes, G. David Weider, Michael Ironside, great actor, great man, uh, but also known as Sam Lane on uh, Smallville, making several guest appearances, and he was also the second captain on Sequest DSV, alongside Jonathan Brandis, rest his soul. Correct. Uh, I didn't really watch Sequest, because normally it was up against Lois and Clark, and for the first, well, for the short period of time that Sequest ran, I was watching Lois and Clark, so I really never caught a, an episode. I'm just going to be honest with you. Answer me this, J. David Weider. Can a show go wrong with not one, but two spawns of Dom DeLuise? How can it go wrong? I don't know. Maybe we, we can explore perhaps here. For now, I'm just going to kind of talk a little bit further about Superman the Animated Series. If you'll just uh, kind of lay back. And if you got something to add a, a, about Superman the Animated Series, you're more than welcome. Uh, let's just kind of stick to the topic. I understand, J. David Weider. I do apologize. Now, roughly halfway through the show's run, which was on Saturday mornings on the WB, um, it was moved and combined with uh, Batman, the new Batman Adventures, where the you know redesigned Batman came out with Tim Drake, Robin, and Nightwing, and the show became the new Batman Superman Adventures. And actually, Superman the Animated Series actually went under the title The New Superman Adventures. And the uh, characters of Batman and Superman actually teamed up on uh, several episodes, which were released on DVD as the Batman Superman movie back in 1998. Additionally, another DVD uh, chronicling the first three episodes, The Last Son of Krypton, was released in uh, 1996. It was actually would have been released on VHS at that time and re-released later. And um, the show ended you know, with that major uh, plot point of Superman being brainwashed by Darkseid. Uh, don't, don't speak up. No. Okay. And uh, the show uh, and Batman were actually spun off into the new animated series Justice League, which we are not actually covering. But the show has uh, several interesting facts about it. For one thing, it is the first su straight Superman series to feature a toy tie-in. Now, Burger King had, hap or I guess it wouldn't be called Happy Meal, Kids Meal Toys. And yours truly, myself, actually stole the full-size stand-up. From or I, I should say procured. It was actually a legitimate procurement. I did have permission unofficially from the manager, as in that was supposed to be destroyed. But the manager knew I was a Superman fan and gave me the full size stand up of the animated Superman, which was subsequently destroyed years later by complete accident. Uh, just saying, I, I went through the college years. I had a lot of friends in my apartment, and they were not respectful of my stuff. And I'm always going to be bitter about that. Anyway. They all, uh, Kenner actually also released a Superman the Animated Series action figure line, which actually featured quite a few characters. Steel made his action figure, uh, well, not debut, but Animated Steel made his debut there. And uh, Supergirl had a figure. There were a lot of really good figures. The one I recommend, if you're, if you're on eBay, is a four-pack, which does include Lois Lane and Metallo, as well as Superman. And this had one of the greatest uh Quick change Clark Kent figures ever to this day. But uh, the show, you know, ended quite well. It wrapped up on its own terms after 54 episodes. And uh, those of you that know what I'm about to say, just brace yourself. There were some uh, pseudo video game tie-ins, including the dreaded Superman 64. 
Now, I'm going to be talking about Superman video games way down the line in this year. But suffice it to say, uh, when this subject comes up around any Superman fan, there's an immediate cringe. Because it was just, uh, well, it's regarded as one of the worst games ever. And by that, I don't mean one of the worst superhero games ever. One of the worst games ever. Who's for flying through some rings, everybody? Anyway, uh, Superman the Animated Series is on DVD. There are three volumes, uh, and there's also one giant volume collecting them all. Um, lots of great extras. I do highly, highly recommend this show. It's its own universe, and uh, just uh, couldn't recommend it more. What do you think, Darkseid? I think Michael Ironside deserves an Oscar. An Oscar, J. David Weider. No one other than Mark Singer fought the lizard people the way Michael Ironside did as Ham. For those of you old enough to remember the 80s television show V, as well as the two miniseries V and V The Final Battle. Glorious stuff, and it is also available on DVD. Dude. I took a soft topic again, didn't I, J. David Weider? I do apologize. I am Darkseid. I am trying a new, higher road, so it is your show. I will abide by your rules. I'm sorry, I'm working on this in a 12-step program. I just got out of rehab, so I'm just trying to kind of put my passions out there. And uh, clearly, uh, I have failed you. I do apologize. Uh, Just don't worry about it. Let's uh, go ahead and wrap this segment up and move on to the news. What do you say? Yes, enlighten us with some news, J. David Reader. Sitting on top of the story of the century here. Oh, what a week we've had in uh, Superman movie news. Well, uh, Batman, aka Christian Bale, gave an awkward congratulations to the new Superman. Now, backstage at the SAG Awards last Sunday, reporters actually asked Bale about Cavill, or Cavill, uh, being cast, to which he uh, stared blankly, blinked a couple times, and said, Well done for whoever you mentioned. Now, Christopher Nolan gave Cavill. Uh, much higher praise. Though he was tight-lipped overall at the Santa Barbara Film Festival, Nolan did state, I think Henry's going to be amazing. In terms of his involvement with the movie, Nolan simply said, What I'm doing on that is that I hired a great director to take it on, and it's more his problem than mine, hopefully. Does that word hopefully kind of strike a nerve with anybody else? Uh, that, That probably shouldn't have come out, and maybe it was just misspeaking, but... Uh, maybe nothing. I'm not going to make a mountain out of a molehill. Kind of like what's been going on with Lois Lane casting news. Holy cow. You can't... It's like you can't go online now without seeing the latest Lois Lane and other rumors. So let's kind of start back. Um, last Sunday, of course, the focus turned to Lois Lane. Or Monday, I should be more accurate. Because now that we have our Superman, the other part of that puzzle is his Lois. As any Superman fan knows, you can't have Superman without a Lois. It just doesn't work quite right. So one of the big rumors that came out early in the week was Kristen Stewart being cast as Lois Lane, that she was the front runner, which of course panned out to be absolutely nothing. But I have to say, uh, just seeing the feedback on uh, Twitter, uh, across the internet, uh, most, uh, most fans were pretty universally horrified at this idea. Yours truly included. 
What did you think of it, Darkseid? Well, Dave David Bader, I, I am a big fan of Twilight. I, I, uh, I don't like her. I don't like her at all. She's not my Bella Swan, and she would not be my Lois Lane uh, if I had a Lois Lane. Oh, Darkseid, that's actually really surprising that you like Twilight. I would not have thought that you would be a big fan. I have to be honest. I'm a big fan of anything uh, drawn or written by sexually repressed Mormons. Uh, Mormon housewives, soccer moms, if you will. Uh, that gets my attention. That definitely gets my attention. Okay, good to know. Well, overall, uh, just to kind of clarify, Kristen Stewart's representative came out and said uh, there was never a meeting, there was never an offer, so we're still open. One of the larger rumors uh, going around are uh, primarily Olivia Wilde has read for the part, Rachel McAdams, which is my choice, so I would love to see that, and Rashida Jones only to turn a different direction in the middle of the week. Um, apparently, their rumors got started that Lois wasn't even going to be in it, and those that were reading for a part were reading for a female lead unnamed, and suddenly included Diane Kruger, who you may know from National Treasure, Alice Eve, who was in the Jay Burishall movie from last year called She's Out of My League, and Rosamund Pike, who you may go way back and remember from the Bond, the last Pierce Brosnan Bond movie. Or it's probably better if you don't remember that movie. But suddenly people are up in arms because you can't have a Superman without Lois, as I mentioned before. And suddenly the rumor that he's wandering the world, learning to himself, a.k.a. Smallville the Lost Years, started to resurface all over again, much to everybody's chagrin. At the moment, people, we don't know anything. For one thing, Diane Kruger came out and said all of its rumors, there never was any truth to it, as far as her involvement. And um, the, suddenly there's another rumor yet again that Ursa is the, main, is the main female and Lois will be in it in a smaller role. We don't know. We don't know. And it's kind of like last week I said, we, you know, be careful, have a rumor shelf. But right now our rumor shelf is getting full. And I think that maybe there should be some spin control on the part of Zack Snyder. Uh, things are getting out of hand, and there's negative feedback on the movie before even one piece of film has been shot. So just wait for the casting call uh, announcements. Just wait patiently. I know it's hard. But make sure when you're hearing these rumors, you are putting them on the rumor shelf, because we have no way of confirming these until the time comes. Kind of like Henry Cavill. Uh, there were so many rumors going out, and, out, and he was kind of, uh, I didn't even know he was in the running. I thought he, I knew he had been involved with the movie that was in development right before it be Brian Singer came on board and made Superman Returns. But, suddenly out of nowhere, we have our new Superman. And, uh, I don't know if I voiced my opinion, but I'm okay with it. We'll see. I'm going to reserve judgment on the movie until I actually sit in the theater, because I know this, good or bad, I'm going to go midnight opening day. That's just the way it is. Anyway, uh, as I mentioned earlier, Ilya Salkind um, gave us a scare this week, not intentionally. He uh, went missing in Mexico City while inspecting a property. And, uh, you know, definitely all of us Superman fans left the Facebook porch light on. Most of us changed our profile pictures to ourselves and Ilya. And, uh, of course, he turned up. He was fine. Well, not fine. He, he had taken a fall. He had an accident. And uh, he's currently in the stable condition in a Mexico City hospital. And um, the rumors that he was attacked, I want to be clear, he, uh, from what I've understood from reliable sources, a.k.a. the Superman homepage, which if there's anywhere you're going to go for anything Superman related, 
that would be the place, uh, or Superman Super Sight. Both of those are reliable on the information they give out. But uh, mentioned that um, no, there was no accident, and uh, they may bring suit against TMZ for even reporting that. So uh, once again, I want to wish Ilya getting uh, Ilya Salkine to get well. We hope to see you in Metropolis again this year. Really looking forward to the Metropolis celebration, but we're going to talk about that a little bit closer to time. And one final piece of news. It, it appears that maybe Jeff Smith, who did the Bone comic, many of you may remember, may be doing a Superman project at DC. Now, there has been a piece of art that surfaced that is currently on my Facebook page, and uh, you can just search supermanforever.com and find it. But uh, it, it is a gorgeous piece of Jeff Smith art, and uh, I love the way Jeff Smith, you know, treats the super or the DC Comics characters. His uh, Shazam has been phenomenal. I love this design, and I'm really hoping to to see a really good Jeff Smith throwback to the fun times of Superman uh, era. And uh, well, we don't know anything about that yet, so hopefully, I'm going to be following this story and have a little bit more for you next week, or. Um, you know, hopefully sooner rather than later, but currently looks like Jeff Smith of Bone is working on a secret Superman project for DC. But that could also be debunked, so keep that with a grain of salt. He may have just been doing a random sketch, as we've learned in the past. Dear David Reader, I was not a fan of Bone. I felt Bone was a little awkward. I won't lie to you. I never found it awkward. It was a good read. And I love the fact that you can pick up the whole thing in one volume. It, I always thought Jeff Smith did some gorgeous art. He did a fun comic. There's nothing wrong with a fun comic. It doesn't have to be heavy on continuity. What if I just want to pick it up and enjoy a read? Nothing wrong with that, just like a popcorn movie. Well, I really thought that Chris Kattan was a very awkward actor, and Brendan Fraser was just lame. Lame, I tell you. He hasn't done anything good since Encino Man. Not monkey bone, dark side. Bone. I'll show it to you after the show. Let's not get off topic again. Consider it done, reader. And to kind of wrap up, uh, the books that you'll be seeing on shelves this February 9th of 2011, Superman number 708, written by Chris Robertson, based on notes by J. Michael Straczynski, with art by Eddie Barrows and J.P. Mayer, and a jet cover by John Cassidy. So this is an issue where Superman meets JMS's Wonder Woman for the first time in Omaha, Nebraska. Nothing says superheroes like Omaha, Nebraska. And that's just a plate of confusion because we got some continuity errors. He's meeting Wonder Woman for the quote-unquote first time, but he seems to remember her. So it's just a complete plate of confusion from the mind of JMS. And also on shelves, as far as collected editions, is Superman Monel Volume 1 which will collect Superman number 684 through 690, Action Comics number 874, and parts of Action Comics annual number 10. And speaking of Action Comics num annual number 10, we will be covering that uh, in a very short period of time. And I'm kind of looking forward to that. It's a classic sort of annual, and that's uh, kind of a last point of no return as far as the post-infinite crisis Superman books are concerned. I know uh, there's not a lot of fanfare for where the books are. I've been on the message boards over at DC Comics. But uh, keep in mind that there are parts that are good and uh, Action Comics number, annual number 10 would be a major part of it. So looking forward to that in a couple of weeks and that wraps up your news for this edition of Superman Forever Radio. So uh, 
Uh, normally, this is where the top five would be. But I found out that there are other podcasts, not necessarily Superman podcasts, but a different podcast that does do top fives, and I don't want to be seen as taking their format. So I am retiring the top five from the podcast, but in the future, sometime around the beginning of March, they will be appearing on the blog at supermanforever.com when I finally get back into full swing on that. And uh, I do apologize for not keeping up with it. It it will be until about the 1st of March, middle of March. Uh, We'll really pick up speed, but right now I am kind of between uh, projects, or on projects, so I'm spread a little bit thinner than normal for the next couple months. And uh, I want the podcast to be the priority because I do want to do a good show every week that keeps you entertained, keeps you interested, and, and covers everything. But the top five is being retired as of now um, and being moved to the blog sometime in March. And I will have more on that uh, later on down the month once I get a little bit more um, clear, um, clear on my schedule going forward. I know that uh, March will be kind of hectic, but I will be keeping the episodes consistent. And we are heading into our last round, or last week of round one of a Metropolis Idol. And uh, as far as last week, with Christopher Reeve versus Brandon Routh, with 54% of the vote, Brandon Routh moves forward. Which is kind of, I'll be honest with you, it's a shock to me. My mind was blown, J.D. And that's saying something, but I was quite shocked that Brandon Routh, with 54% of the vote, will move on to round two where he will face off against one of these two final competitors in round one. Uh, first one being Bud Collier, who, as we've mentioned in the last few episodes, he did the Superman uh, radio show, Adventures of Superman, and also did the voice of Superman in the Fleischers, as well as Filmation's Superman from the 60s. And uh, he will go up against Danny Dark, who voiced the character through the bulk of uh, the Super Friends. So these two animation voices will square off. Of course, you can always vote at superman.com slash metropolisidol. And voting will be open until Monday, or pardon me, Monday. Uh, voting will be open until Friday. And please do put in your vote. And uh, as far as round two, we're going to speed this up a little bit. Each uh, week with round two, we will actually have two voting boxes. So we'll go through that in about two episodes. We'll be into round three, which will be one more episode. And then the big dukeroo. Um, just one episode after that. So we will kind of speed this up and get to the end where you choose to be official Superman of Superman Forever Radio. So remember to vote supermanforever.com slash metropolis idol. And in our journey through all the issues of the Superman books in the new Earth era, era, we have finally come to the end of our first calendar year. So these are the books for December 2006, and this begins what may be looked back on as one of the first major stories for Superman in this era, Last Sun. Now, the story kicks off with Action Comics 844, and this book shifts to a new creative team with Jeff Johns returning to write and his mentor and former boss Richard Donner, who directed 1978's Superman the Movie, uh, co-writing with him. Now, Adam Kubert's Kubert, son of legendary... Joe Kubert and brother of Andy Kubert, who was working with Grant Morrison on Batman at the time. And Dave Stewart and, Stewart and Rob Lay remained on the books as colorist and letterer, respectively. Of course, Matt Adelson and Nachi Castro remained on, as the editors on the Superman books as a whole. 
And this is considered an all-star team at the time. The storyline was given a lot of hype. It was all over Wizard, and Donner's involvement was a big touchstone. And Action Comics was, at the time, being looked at as the go-to Superman book, which, in my opinion, it should be. It is the original Superman book. Now, I have a lot of commentary on this issue, so let's go ahead and get the synopsis out of the way. We open in the Fortress of Solitude, and it's 1978 Superman the Movie incarnation that we saw formed at the end of Up, Up, and Away. And for the first time, we see inside the fortress as Superman uses the Sunstone to initiate a hologram of his Kryptonian father, Jor-El. They converse a bit about how Kal-El lives among the human race, but is not one of them. Then we flash to the Daily Planet, where Jimmy Olsen is being completely berated by Perry White for taking some Bush League photos of Superman fighting Gorilla Grodd. As an atonement, Perry sends Jimmy to get coffee. And Clark tries to stand up for Jimmy, but his super hearing picks up a panic, and his X-ray and telescopic vision combined allows him to spot a ship entering the atmosphere, heading right for Metropolis. So Clark speeds out of the Daily Planet, rushes to stop the ship from pulling an Armageddon. And once he gets the ship somewhat safely to the ground, he peers inside to see a young boy staring back at him. So we jump to the Department of Metahuman Affairs, where Superman and Sarge Steel talk about the ship and how the metal seems familiar. And just then, the kid picks up a large entertainment center and lifts it over his head and tells those around him that he is hungry in Kryptonian. So Superman has a conversation with the boy who doesn't know his own name or really where he's from. And bedtime comes, and the child does not want Superman to leave. So Superman promises him he will stay until the boy falls asleep and return before he wakes, and sits patiently as the kid falls asleep. Back at the Daily Planet, Lois Lane types up a story late at night when Superman drops by to bring her Chinese food. And Clark confides in Lois that he can feel the kid is from Krypton and kind of alludes to taking him in if the tests prove positive. And when Superman goes back to the labs, he finds them emptied out. And the child is gone. And at the Department of Metahuman Affairs headquarters in Washington, Sarge Steele and the military are discussing the fact that the ship's trajectory would have taken it through our moon, that it must have jumped out of hyperspace near Earth. Earmark that. That's important. This is when a very upset Superman smashes through the giant iron doors and confronts Sarge Steele and demands to know where the boy is. Now here we have a brief interlude where we see that Lex Luthor, still hiding since up, up, and away, notes Lois Lane's story on the Kryptonian boy's landing and decides that this is his opportunity. And we leave Luthor to his plotting and catch up with a military convoy transporting the child. The convoy is stopped at a large tree sprawled across the road when they are ambushed. Smoke bombs and explosives go off as a shrouded figure finds the boy in the back of the transport and approaches. Who could be behind this? What villain could do such a thing? Hold your judgment, because the last scene shows us the Kent farm. Jonathan and Martha are startled to find Clark on their front porch, holding the boy and asking how they managed to adopt the last child that crashed from the sky. And to be continued, that is the end of the first part. So the issue has a lot of firsts for the new Earth era Superman. As I mentioned at the beginning, this is the first time we enter the Fortress of Solitude, which presents us with a newly rebooted Jor-El, who looks like a cross between Sean Connery and Kenny Rogers. Now, the green hue to indicate the hologram effect works really well, and the new look for Jor-El is pretty fresh, not owing a lot to the burn area, burn era or any previous incarnation so much as its own thing. There's a little bit of a trace of Brando's on-screen version there. 
and the talk between Superman and Jor-El on pages two and three about Clark not being a part of the human race really just borders on necessary, unnecessary, but it does kind of set up the inner workings of Clark in the storyline pretty well, even though most readers are aware of this particular conundrum. And Kubert draws Superman's costume with the S-Shield belt buckle of Superman Returns. And when this book hit stands, the movie had pretty much come and gone from theaters, but hadn't hit DVD yet, because it would have actually hit around October of 2006. Superman Returns didn't come out on DVD until late November. But as the story progresses, we'll look at how the path the story takes brings us brings uh, brings up a lot of questions about the film's influence on the movie, on the comics, and pardon me. Pages th- three and four give us Cooper's renditions of Perry White and Jimmy Olsen. Now, Perry is way too cartoony, and Jimmy needs to put on some weight, because he looks real thin. But we do get our first look at the ship carrying the Kryptonian boy. While pages five and six have Superman struggling to stop the ship, with the strain showing on his face, maybe a bit too much, which is something Cooper's going to be guilty of quite a bit here. The splash of Superman staring at the ship on page seven looks remarkable, but this is where a major flaw comes in. The ship, which looks like a baked potato wrapped in tinfoil, isn't the ship we saw in Back in Action, at least not in design. Uh, that is one note on the ship, major continuity flaw right there. Earmark that again as we'll get to that, come back to that in just a minute. Uh, page 8 has another full page splash. Now for, for those of you actually reading along, this isn't a two page splash. These pages are separated by a, a huge ad for Nerds Candy. So both splashes are sharp, admittedly, especially the effects of Superman's reaction to the Kryptonian boy reflected on the glass of the ship. But for those keeping track, this is the second reference to the Donner movie in under 10 pages. Luckily, it skirts around blatantly winking at the reader. But my point, why are we taking up two pages for single splash pages? I know this is a major event and a major moment in it, but I'm plunking down $2.99 for the book, and a split page would have also worked for layout purposes and given us an extra page of story. Now, Superman takes Sarge Steele's cigar on page 10 and says you shouldn't smoke around kids. A, good message. B, I don't know if this was a conscious reference to George Reeves or not, but Reeves was very careful not to smoke in front of children because he was playing such an icon, and he wanted to be careful of the image he projected on their impressionable young minds. And also, the wooden block in the forefront is a letter S, with the serif that we actually see in Superman's symbol. And uh, let me add a side note about Sarge Steele here. Now, he was one of the Charlton Comics characters that DC purchased in the mid-'80s, and, um, you know, he was a detective originally. He kind of became a spy. Of course, DC brought him in, and he ended up replacing Amanda Waller Amanda Waller, as head of Department of Metahuman Affairs. Now, Steel would become a big part of the Wonder Woman series that was beginning right around this time. And uh, that's just wanted to let you know who that character was. Now, the dialogue on page 12 is superb, uh, as well as the, the detail of the scientist scribbling notes once the kid lifts the entertainment center which oddly has no cords hanging from it. That may be nitpicking, but there is a TV in the entertainment center, which also isn't sliding. Also, as good as the finesse that Superman's bonding session with the boy handles on page 14 and page 19, um, it's extremely good, it's sweet, and the quiet talking as well as Superman promising the boy that you know he would be there when he wakes adds an element of trust between the two characters, which is setting a good foundation for what comes ahead. And also a good show of trust is Lois on page 20 to 21. And Lois gently reminds Clark why they haven't either had kids or adopted. 
and takes him at his word when he admits he knows in his heart the boy is actually Kryptonian. To the point of changing the headline to her new story on the crash from a boy crashes down to a Kryptonian boy. Now, page 22 shows more of Clark's sweet side um, as he flies to meet the boy with a teddy bear tucked under his arm. He's already formed an attachment, which makes his anger at the empty labs much more relatable. But as he flies off in a rage, he leaves the teddy bear behind, which shows he is way more concerned about the Kryptonian boy than any of the little details. But this is also good tracking, when it would have been very easy to just forget the teddy bear, you know, several panels later. So good on you, Adam Kubert. And page 25 has another continuity error. This is the ship that I told you to earmark. So A, it's not the ship from up, up, and away. B, when it's theorized that the ship jumped out of hyperspace near our atmosphere, which will become important later, we should think back just a few issues to the first part of Back in Action. Not only does the ship look different, but the auctioneer encounters it in deep space, well beyond our moon. Now, it's probably something easily missed, since Superman smashes his way into the secured facility two panels later, and kind of the story kicks up. But I noticed it, and that kind of uh, makes me wonder again if uh, Up Up, or pardon me, not Up Up in a way, but pardon me, Back in Action was actually just a fill-in. I mean, this tends to allude to that. Anyway, so Superman smashes through the door on page 26 and 27. Here are where the flaws in Kubert's art start to show. Uh, Superman really just looks like Ronald Reagan. And the rule is, the more lines you add to a character's face, the more years you add to their age. Now, Kubert is an instructor at the Kubert School of Graphic Art. So he should know better than to draw a 30-something character with more wrinkles and dimples than a California raisin. And on page 28, when we visit Luthor, is that a chunk of kryptonite in the foreground or Metallo's heart? I'm not sure. I tried to look it up just to confirm, but I have not been able to... Clarify just yet. And uh, anyway, and the ending in Smallville marks another first. The reunion of, uh, rend first rendition of Jonathan and Martha Kent drawn in their Smallville looks. Lightly resembling a more aged version of John Schneider and Ed O'Toole. Uh, not a bad rendition, but it begs the question again, along with the Beckel, how much, you know, should the comics as source material be influenced by the way the characters or places appear in other media? Now, of course, with the Fleischer cartoons and the Superman radio show, there was a lot that was brought in. Kryptonite, uh, the flight, um, several several things. So, is it always bad? Is it always good? Here, it doesn't bother me. But at what point is enough enough? Once we get the new Superman movie, are we going to get a new look? Are we going to see a completely different influence? I don't know. So, I my idea is the comics should take what they please within moderation. But that isn't uh, really a question I expect to answer today. And I just want to put, you know, put that thought into your head to explore. And so this was an all-star creative team that was a, but was it worth the hype? Now, for the most part, part, at least for this issue, Kubert really has some sharp, high moments. But in others, the art comes off really sloppy and inconsistent in other parts of the book. Uh, like the cartoony look of Perry and, and Pa Kent's exaggerated features. But he does add something to the way the cape sits on Clark's shoulders, which is such a small detail, but it reminds me of Tom Grummet, and at the same time being its own thing, it kind of bunches along the back of the collar. Because I'm not a fan of the cape draping off the shoulder. I like folds and a dynamic look, because that's an important part of Superman. Now, Kubert does nail that by having that cape, you know, arch around the back of the neckline. 
and that does create a nice visual look. And most of the layouts are dynamic enough to hold any reader's attention, and the story is well told. And this was the moment I became a fan of Jeff Johns on Superman. Until this issue, he was primarily just the guy that made The Flash a great read again and helped fix Hawkman. And here he proves that he actually gets the inner workings of Superman in a way that wasn't as clear and up-up in a way. And he retains Superman's core compassion, but makes sure that when something is tampered with that is important to Superman, the Man of Steel steps up. And as far as Richard Donner, I'm not sure how much he contributed or what the writing process was, but I get the feeling that he brought the versimilitude to the book, to, to coin that special phrase, and kind of gave it the cinematic feel that made the issue a great read and stand out from some of the other recent issues. So my final verdict even with the uneven art, the book does shine and brings an entirely unique story to us, really shaking up the status quo. And I give Action Comics 844 3.5 S Shields out of 5. Because this is a kickoff to a great read, but be warned, it isn't an easy read, especially since we are going chronologically through the books. But next week in Action Comics, Bizarro. And now uh, let's move on to Superman number 657. Or urban landscaping for dummies. In Lord Darkseid, if you would, I'll have you do the honors with Superman 657. Yes, J. David Reader, I would love to. Superman number 657 was written by Kurt Busiek, penciled by Carlos Pacheco, inked by Jesus Marino, colored by Dave Stewart, lettered by Comic Craft, and also edited by Matt Idelson and Nachi Castro. We open with Lois Lane calling out to a goatee Jimmy Olsen as he scales a wall carrying a pack of medicines. After Jimmy falls to a ledge unharmed, we pull back to see the entire island of New Troy in ruins with a massive rock formation rising out of the water lifting the island. From journal entries made by Lois Lane, we learn that this is August of 2014. And dialogue lets us know that a worldwide electromagnetic pulse has wiped out watches and clocks and blocked the sun. As Lois and Jimmy begin walking to meet others, they are attacked by shrouded enemies called Ghost Wolves. And they are rescued by a new character named Sirocco, who gets injured. Not to be outdone, Lex Luthor and the Parasite arrive to finish fighting off the Ghost Wolves. Parasite asks Lois to call him Clark, because he overloaded on Superman's powers a few years back. Parasite takes some of Sirocco's pain, and the group heads back out of Metropolis. What is going on? What is going on? Arion is getting that to that, you clotpoles. Back in the current Metropolis, Arion floats above the Daily Planet, talking to Superman, Perry White, Jimmy Olsen, and Lois Lane of today. The scene we saw is in one of Arion's bubbles, and he is showing the go- they gathered this alternate future, possible future. And Arion is losing his patience. Do not interrupt Arion when he is prophesizing, or you will be called names like Jowly Sack of Goat Guts and Clotpoles. And Arion points out that a new wave, or crisis, will come, and many heroes will fall. And he shows them the villain that will plague Superman in the future, Kyber, a member of a uh, Middle Eastern assassin thing. And Kyber begins making global alliances, recruiting villains into his cabal, using conflicts to hide his true machinations. Eventually, Kyber's schemes come to light, 
and war erupts between villains and the heroes, who are able, ba- barely able to stave off the devastation between them. Enraged at the deaths of so many innocents, Superman flies into space to fight Kyber, who infects Superman with nanopoisons. Then Kyber throws Superman to the Earth so hard he cracks the crust of the planet, causing earthquakes, tidal waves, huge volcanic eruptions, and nuclear winter. J. David Reader, this is my paradise. Even then, the warring continents continues. Luther rises as the protector of Metropolis, and suddenly we flash back to the motley crew of Luthor, Olsen, Parasite, and Lois Lane. Three weeks have passed since the flashback at the beginning or flash forward at the beginning of the issue, and they are now upstate of Metropolis at one of Luthor's old lairs, crossing the Bizarro Swamps. Once they get to Luthor's lair, it is under attack by an unseen enemy. Meanwhile, deep in a mountain in the Mackenzie Range, another tremor rocks the earth. In the lava, a caped figure rises. It is Superman looking ticked. Back in the current time, Jimmy yells for excitement that the future Superman is alive, but Arion tells Jimmy that Superman will not save the day. He'll make it worse. And this issue ends. As far as my notes for Superman number 657, one good thing that stands out. Pages 2 and 3, The Destruction of Metropolis, a large jagged rock shooting up into the middle of the island, sending buildings careening, creating devastation. Pacheco looks gorgeous here. His art is superb. And on page 4, it tickles me that Lex Luthor is able to make one-man hovercrafts out of ATMs, as well as the Ghost Wolves, these cybernetic assassins that we will learn a little bit more about later. Essentially, they're like my own parademons, simple henchmen. On page 6, we meet new hero Sirocco, which we will learn more about later, according to J. David Weir. On page 11, Parasite, taking on Clark. How much of Clark is actually inside of the Parasite? We don't know. What is going on here? Page 12, when Ariane is telling them about the future, Perry White buys into it pretty wholly right out of the gate. Says it feels real, feels true. Perry White is a jaded newsman. I've met him. He's cold-hearted. He knows what he's talking about. He would not buy into this so easily. It's a little too trusting. This may be a line that should have been Jimmy Olsen's. And on page 13, we get a flash villain we have not seen before. Mad-Eye. Mad-Eye. One of the greatest villainous creations of all time, but we don't know exactly what he does, but he's apparently able to take out the Flash. On page 14, we meet Kyber. This is a very weird design. He looks like something out of Alien Legion from back in the 80s. And we're going to also going to learn, according to J. David Reed, a little bit more about Kyber and Suroko later, and their odd connection. On page 16, it is Black Adam who takes the stand against Kyber, trying to create a cabal, and does something noble, which ignites the war. That's all that Black Adam is good for, right? I think not. I respect Black Adam for taking the stand. On page 17, we in the vision of the future, we actually see Prometheus. Plus, a uh, uh, that would be out of context, uh, after last year's cry for justice when Prometheus was shot in the head by Green Arrow. And also, uh, there's a great uh, fight of Solomon Grundy versus Blockbuster, which should, absolutely should happen at some point. I must see this. 
On page 19, Superman hitting the Earth in one full page splash. Looks like the beginning of the movie Armageddon. It is gorgeous. The colors really stand out. This guy, Dave Stewart, really knows how to color. He just knows what's going down. Also on page 21, we get a giant toy man taking over Metropolis as its own playset. Adorable. Adorable this one is. And on page 22, that is a scrap from the Newsboy Legion. But yet we do not know the fate of Jim Harper the Guardian. On page 25, we get a glimpse of Helen Jordan, a niece of the green-minded Hal Jordan. And the irony of this is Inspector Number Seven. Seventy. Pardon me, Number Seven. It was foretold that she would be the chosen one to lead the planet out of its misery, and here she is, alive, standing next to Donna Troy, a damaged Donna Troy. And also on page twenty-five, there is a flash in a wheelchair with long blonde hair. Was this Barry Allen's return foretold years before it would happen? Or is it just a case that in Infinite Crisis, the Flash that returned was not intended to be Bart, but instead intended to be Barry? Was this Jeff Johns telling us what was coming? I don't know. And on page 30, there is an awesome, awesome splash of Superman rising from the lava. Just gorgeous. And on page 31, the top panel just looks great. Arion, I hear on this page. Looks like he was drawn by John Romita Jr. In a good way. Back back before John Romita Jr. got really, really sloppy. I know, it's my opinion. It's not a popular opinion, but it's mine. And uh, overall, I'm going to give this issue three uh, Superman shields out of five. Uh, the art was consistent. It was wonderful. The Dave Stewart colors rocked my boat. And the story gets deeper, even though there was a lot of wonky flashbacks and flash-forwards. I still remain with 3 out of 5, an above-average Superman issue. Back to you, J. David Peter. And I'll uh, wrap us up with Superman Batman number 31, which is The en Enemies Among Us Part 4. Once again written by Mark Verheiden, who is now joined by penciler Matthew Clark and anchor Andy Lanning. Guy Majors is on colors, and Rob Lay does letters. Ethan Van Skyver, who had been handling the interiors for the last three issues, does the cover with Moose Bowman, while Eddie Berganza and Janine Schaefer do the editing. Now, the credit includes a special thanks to Simon Colby, but we are not clear why. Now, the issue picks up where we left off in issue 30 with Kilowog and Superman on the moon, Superman has an odd flashback recreating his memories of the crash that brought him to Earth. In these memories, Superman was actually a grotesque-looking alien who was only accepted by the Kents when his ship changed his appearance. In a rage, Superman flies towards Earth. Meanwhile, back at the Fortress of Solitude, Batman faces a possessed Plastic Man infected by the Black Stone that Luther sent them to get last issue. Plastic Man takes off, leaving Batman to face Starfire, except Starfire has changed into... Zook. Zook? Zook was a pet of the Martian Manhunter in the 60s, appearing first in Detective Comics number 311. Ah, okay, thank you. Well, Batman tells Zook that nobody has seen or heard from him in years, and Zook explains that his disappearance was Batman's fault, and we see a brief flashback to the old days of the JLA and Batman berating Zook, who explains that those insults drove him away, and he only came back because he heard the call. 
Now, Martian Manhunter arrives to claim his pet and explains that Zook was trying to warn against an oncoming alien threat. And Batman gets back on his private jet, which he would have taken Plastic Man on, piloted by Alfred. Okay, not obvious at all that, you know, they were leaving from Lex Luthor's place. So he decides to go after the one who has the answers, Mr. Luthor himself, who at that very moment is being confronted by the possessed Plastic Man. And Plaz tells Luthor that he plans on keeping the power and asks Luthor uh, what he plans to do if he, if he plans to do something about it. Luthor says yes, he does plan to do something about it and tries employing an energy field which provoked the rock a symbiote actually to protect Plastic Man or uh, leave his body if he is found to be an unworthy host leaving the rock to Luthor. While this is going on, over in Dalesville, former Wizard Mort of the Month Ultra the Multi-Alien is overwhelmed by the alien call itself. And Ultra the Multi-Alien was shot by, I kid you not, this is his origin, he was shot by four beams from four different alien species at the exact same time, trying to turn him into one of their races, making him one-fourth of each. So there are like four aliens living in him. He has the power of flight, magnetism, strength, and lightning powers. And Ultra basically loses his mind and starts tearing up the town. A Supergirl shows up to fight Ultra, only to have heard the call herself, uh, as all aliens on the planet are doing. And uh, they join the fight against the humans, and the two of them take off together. Now, Superman floats outside the Kent farm for a creepy moment. And back at LexCorp... Plastic Man continues to be tortured, almost to the point of death when Batman shows up and wipes the smug grin off Luthor's face by just belting him in the face. And as Batman threatens Luthor, he is hit by a bolt of electricity. He finds Ultra the multi-alien and Supergirl standing before him. Supergirl explains that Ultra has been sent to protect Luthor, and Supergirl is to take Batman out. And Batman pleads for Kara to fight their effects, but Superman himself shows up, affected by the call and tells Bruce that Earth is no longer his planet, and Batman is about to die. Uh-oh. Yep, to be continued. Now, as much as I like pulling obscure Silver Age characters out of the mothballs, Ultra the Multi-Alien, Zook, I didn't even know these characters existed, to be honest, and I really don't like where this story is going, and my only consolation is that it ends in two issues. The idea that every alien on Earth is affected by this call is way over the top, and the story is only salvaged by Lex Luthor being Lex Luthor. I don't like Superman being a bad guy, and I don't like the book with the title Superman Batman barely having Superman in it for all of three whopping pages, and one of those is him floating outside the Kent farm, and another is a splash page. Now, although I think this proves, uh, as far as Lex Luthor, that proves the book's no longer in continuity, since Lex wasn't in control of LexCorp at the time that this issue would have taken place. Uh, to be honest, this was another forgettable issue. It didn't even have Ethan Van Skyver to pull it out. Matthew Clark's art was really sloppy and smacked of last-minute fill-in, and Verheiden clearly doesn't have a handle on most of these characters, as demonstrated by Batman taking his Bruce Wayne private jet to the Fortress of Solitude which, of course, Lex Luthor would be tracking and watching via satellite. Even I know that. Certainly Batman would have thought of that. And by now, Batman should have been two steps further along in the process of figuring this out than he is. I mean, at this point, he should have at least deduced what was going on, maybe, if not the solution. But instead, we see him being informed by expositional dialogue by Martian Manhunter and Supergirl. So this issue, it gets an, a meager two S-Shields out of five. And before we sign off this week, I got a couple of things I want to touch upon. A couple of announcements about my show and another show. 
Uh, to begin with, um, on the most recent episode of From Crisis to Crisis, a Superman podcast with Michael Bailey and Jeffrey Taylor, they put out a sort of a beginning of a movement to have a trade paperback collected that would essentially be Superman, Batman, trade paperback, issued number, it wouldn't be issued, be volume zero. And what this would collect would be the Dark Knight over Metropolis storyline, plus a couple of extras in there just to kind of flesh it out and make a full trade. Now, for those of you that don't remember Dark Knight over Metropolis, it wasn't the first meeting of Superman and Batman, but the relevance came in the fact that that was the issues where or storyline where Superman handed Batman the Kryptonite ring, kind of a big stepping stone in their partnership or their friendship, and uh, that would be Action Comics number six fifty four. Adventures of Superman 467 and Superman Volume 2 44. As far as the extras, it would probably include Superman Batman or pardon me, Superman Volume 2 Annual Number 3, which uh, had them facing vampires, or Superman also Superman Volume 2 Number 168 and Detective Comics 756, which took place during Luthor's presidency and involved Superman, Batman and Lois Lane doing a really nice uh check-in to get the ring back from Mr. Luthor. Now, how we're going to do this is um, once the email is procured as far as who is in charge of soliciting trades, of uh, beginning those projects, I will release that. And when that does, what we're asking is write a polite email. Very short. Do not be rude. That's not what we want to represent here with Superman and what we, we want to be respectful. A very short email to the point, just requesting it. And when you do, mention from crisis to crisis a Superman podcast. That is stage one. Just simply polite email requesting it, mention from crisis to crisis. And then when the book, when and if the book is solicited, pre-order the book. Either from Amazon.com, your local comic shop. That way the printing is correct and we actually see a nice turnout for that. So it was a good idea that they presented. I'm something I'm 100% behind, even though I have almost all of these issues listed here. I would turn around and buy it just to support my friends over it from crisis to crisis. So remember, uh, nice polite email, and I will have the email address as soon as they do. Requesting the trade and mention from crisis to crisis, and then pre-order the book when it's solicited. And as for my next amount announcement, uh, I'm going to use this email to kind of. Uh, go into it. This is from Mr. Steve Rogers, who I always love hearing from. He's a man after my own heart. He loves Johnny Cash. He loves him some uh, Curb Your Enthusiasm. He loves him some Superman. And as I've mentioned before, I do call him Cap. And he writes, Hey David, enjoying the look at Superman Animated, but a quick question. How come Super Friends is being glossed over? Yes, I know it really is a Justice League show, but the big guy did play a big role in all the incarnations of that show and all as well as the 2000s Justice League, Justice League Unlimited. And along that vein, are you going to discuss the Legion and crypto cartoons that popped up over the last decade? Signed, Steve. And I've responded to Steve, and uh, ever since that response, I've kind of tweaked the idea a little bit, Steve. So um, what I've decided to do as far as Super Friends is, and Justice League, Justice League Unlimited, is down the road... I'm going to, you know, of course, do a Legion episode, so I'll be covering Legion of Superheroes cartoon at that point. And Crypto will have his own episode at some point, because I have a deep love for Crypto. So I'll cover the cartoon at that point. And um, as far as the Justice League and Super Friends, that's more of him in a team dynamic. So down the road, probably in early 2012, to be honest, when I was looking at uh, my show plan, um, I'll be touching on those cartoons a little bit. 
But as far as the animated shows, what I'm going to do, and I was originally going to do it slightly differently, um, from beginning next week on episode 14, I'm going to go episode by episode through Superman the Animated Series. And originally I was going to go chronologically and do the Fleischers, then do the Filmation and Ruby Spears. But uh, just going back over the animated series, I'm, I really got excited to rewatch it all all the way through and uh, kind of share it with you guys on the podcast. So beginning next week, a new segment will be going through the animated versions of Superman, beginning with all three seasons of Superman, uh, the animated series, which will, of course, take us quite a bit of time when I kind of panned it out. Uh, looks like by the end of the calendar year, if all goes well, we should be kind of uh, through the second season. And plus, there's a couple of crossover episodes with Batman the Animated Series and Batman Beyond that we'll be covering. Um, I don't know which order those will go in. Probably the Batman Beyond will come at the very end, just because of the content. And if you don't know the content, I'm not going to spoil it for you. And if you do, please don't spoil it for others. So that will be a new segment, because I really do want to get into all aspects of Superman. But I'm only one person, so... Uh, doing the animated series just makes perfect sense because, uh, as Darkseid said, you know that kind of thing is my bag. And also, beginning next week, I'm going to be doing a character profile every week because, um, you know, even in the context of these reviews, we touch upon a character lightly. I kind of want to look at certain characters in all their incarnations, whether it's pre-crisis, post-crisis, post-infinite crisis, and just give you a quick overview. So I'll be adding that. And of course, I mentioned earlier, we're dropping the top five, but everything else is remaining. We're going to continue through 2006. I know the, the only major change we should see in the future is once we get to new Krypton, we may be doling it out a little bit differently, but we're not in a big rush to catch up with the current books, I assure you. They're going to be there, and eventually, um, looks like you know when I was doing the numbers, we're still slated to hit them sometime in mid-2012 to late-2012, um, somewhere in that range. Uh, of course, we do have annuals and, and uh, occasionally a miniseries I want to do just to kind of break it up. But uh, So next week, it'll be, you know, normally go into the topic. Uh, we're going to do the animated look. We're going to do the reviews, character spotlight, and uh, do all the news. So I look forward to that, kind of expanding the show a little bit. And uh, I hope you look forward to it as well. And, of course, I'd love to hear from you. You can always give me an email at mail at supermanforever.com. Um, you can call my message line, which is 703-95-SUPER or 703-957-8737. I am on Twitter. I am at Superman, the number four ever. I'm also on Tumblr at supermanforever.tumblr.com. And, of course, I will uh, begin blogging. Uh, I'll have an announcement about the blog in a couple of weeks. I mentioned, you know, it's going to be around the 1st of March. And in the, in the next couple of weeks, I'll have some good content. I just want to make sure it's quality and worth your reading time. So in a couple of weeks, I'll be talking a little bit about the blog at supermanforever.com. And, of course, you can always vote Pardon me, vote at the supermanforever.com on your Metropolis Idol. And, as usual, I can be found over at the Superman uh, Podcast Network over at fortressofbailey2.com slash supermanpodcast. And uh, that's going to wrap me up for this week. Any final thoughts, Darkseid? No, J. David Weeder. I have appreciated being on your show, and perhaps you would have me back in the future. Perhaps I could be your Jay Leno to your Johnny Carson. I don't know that you would be my Jay Leno. Perhaps I could just be your David Brenner or your Rich Little. Uh, we'll see about that. Uh, well, I do appreciate you being here, Lord Darkseid, and I hope you have a really good uh, rest of your week. 
I hope your path to a kinder, gentler apocalypse takes you good places, and I really like to see the, the positive coming out in you. You're evading my question, J. David Weeder. What question am I inv- evading here? Did you or did you not enjoy having me on? Would you have me on as a guest host should you not be able to fulfill your hosting duties? Do not evade my question, J. David Weeder. Darkseid has asked you a direct question. Well, I think I would have you on if this was a, uh, you know, have you a guest host if this was a Sequest or a Michael Ironside podcast. Okay. But this is Superman Forever Radio, and as far as I know, you don't like Superman. Fair is fair, J. David Weeder. I will see that you are punished for your deception. What deception? You asked to be on the show. You wanted to show a kinder, gentler side of yourself. Silence! I will have none of this, J. David Weeder. You will be punished by being hit with my Omega Beams. Are you seriously going to hit me with Omega Beams? Is that how you're going to do this? No, no, of course not, J. David Weeder. I'm just pulling your leg. You see, humor is becoming one of my gifts. I'm thinking of taking up stand-up. Perhaps we will see in the future. Okay, okay. Well, uh, what, would, you, would you like to sign us off today, Darkseid? It would be my pleasure, David Weeder. Until next time when this show resumes, please continue to fight the never-ending battle. Valhalla. Superman and all related characters are copyright DC Comics. Superman was created by Jerry Siegel and Joe Schuster.